0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So yeah, here's a couple thoughts uh, for graduates this morning. Uh, A couple little stories. A 21-year-old is hired, this one's a college one, a 21-year-old is hired by a hardware store, shows up for his first day of work at 8 a.m. sharp, The boss welcomes him, then hands him a broom. First sweep out the store, then I'll show you where the window cleaning equipment is. Sir, the young man protests, you can't be serious. I'm a college graduate. Oh, sorry, says the manager pointing to the broom. No problem, I can show you how that thing works. (laughs) Uh, A graduation ceremony is an event where the commencement speaker tells thousands of students dressed in identical caps and gowns that individuality is the key to success. Uh, here's another one. Of course, there's a lot of knowledge in high schools. The freshmen bring a little in, the seniors don't take much away, so knowledge just sort of accumulates over the years. One more. Uh, Oh, and this is, I already heard people asking this. The big question always is, what are you going to do after, what are you doing after graduation, right? Josh, I know you got asked that this morning. And so the recommendation is, You just look them in the eye and you tell them, I have no idea. I never thought I'd get this far. (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. So we'll get serious here, sort of. So um, I'm not sure where to tell you to open your Bibles. Let's just, we're going to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago. And we've been in a series, is it up there? Yay. Uh, Called Undeterred. And we're talking about developing a faith. Uh, that is undeterred. In other words, we don't get derailed. In fact, let me just read you that definition again. To be deterred, okay? To be deterred in anything means to be turned aside from the pursuit of a goal. So we're talking about our faith in God. We don't want to live in a way that everything that comes into our life just keeps turning us aside from our pursuit of God. To be deterred means to be discouraged from accomplishing something by doubt, Fear through the threat of possible negative consequences or outcomes, do you ever have anybody do that when you're believing God for somebody? I, I bet you all have and and people will come along and they 'll caution you about believing God, they 'll caution you about stepping beyond the natural and believing God for something uh supernatural they'll sometimes they 'll tell you their worst story about your situation. You know, I broke my foot two weeks ago. And I had to change a whole bunch of plans. I was supposed to be in Montana this morning, actually. Um, But I had to change a bunch of plans. And the first thing I had to do was call this guy up there. I was going to have some work done on our car in Billings uh, by a a friend of my brother's. And I had to call him and cancel that appointment, which you got to schedule this guy way. I mean, I've had that appointment since February or something. And uh, so I had to call and cancel him. He's a great guy, but the first thing he does is tell me a story about his wife who broke this same bone and how horrible it was and how long it took for it to heal, and it just took forever, and she you know, and all this stuff. And I'm just I just, you know, the shield of faith just comes up and quenches all those fiery darts, because that may be her story, but that's not my story, and that's not the promise of God, right? So so that kind of thing can be a deterrent. It can turn you aside from pursuing beyond the natural, or like Boyd just shows, beyond what we're comfortable with, beyond what we've experienced to date. Um, It means to dissuade somebody by instilling self-doubt or fear of failure. And those are all tactics the devil likes to use just to move us off of our faith. You guys, okay. Um, So deterred means to scare off by intimidation. The devil uses intimidation tactics a lot. Discouragement or demoralization, which means to destroy your morale, remove your hope. Okay, So to be undeterred means to persevere in the pursuit of a goal or purpose despite pressure to give up. Or intimidation, setbacks or threats to continue in the face of contradictory actions or evidence. We may talk about this a little bit more as we talk about faith this morning, but um, to me, one of the big issues in our society right now—one of the—if—if if we're thinking about situations where Christians are attacked or pushed off—you know—we are—we are not in a situation where we have real persecution the way that people in other parts of the world are. Nobody is putting us in cages and setting us on fire yet. Uh, we're not in that situation, but throughout history, there have been situations like that. What we get is pressure to change our minds, pressure to feel like a fool because you believe in God. And, and there are the, the, level of, the level of attack, the level of animosity when you express what you believe, or even when you don't even express what you believe. <laughs> we went through one of those this week on Facebook. Where Anyway nobody was even saying anything about a situation it was just information anyway and people just piled on and called names and cussed and it was that's an intimidation tactic when you see that violent a reaction about you holding an opinion that's different from somebody else's i believe that's demonically influenced because the devil is an accuser it's his nature and he likes to work with fear. And so it's just an intimidation tactic. And we just need to be bigger than that. We need to build a faith that's undeterred. We know who God is and we need to be pressing into him and learning who he is and experiencing him. Not just having a theology. It's, it's great to have theology, but if it's not leading you into an experience with the person of Jesus Christ, it isn't going to hold up in the face of all of these different kinds of things in the face of not seeing the promise come to pass in the time that you wanted it to come to pass. It's, it's not going to hold up. So, so we have available to us a faith that is very genuine and, and living. We've we got to get to some good scriptures here. So um, let's go over to, let's go to Exodus chapter 13. We looked at this verse um, a couple of weeks ago when I first launched this series. We looked at this verse Exodus chapter 13 in verse 19, and um, what we're going to talk about this morning is this idea, and again, we touched on it a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, I guess, that faith is transferable. Genuine faith, like we're talking about here, it's transferable from generation to generation it should be transferred Annie did a fabulous job last week talking to us about our our heritage and our inheritance that we not just what we received but what we passed down uh if you weren't here last week I really encourage you to either get the cd or listen to the podcast or watch the youtube whatever that was a fantastic that whole service was so anointed beginning to end and um because I wasn't involved, I was just sitting over there, so so, but it was so good, and, and one thing that she said, she told us that you are transferring a spiritual heritage to your kids, and, or to, if you don't have kids and to future generations, you are whether it's a godly spiritual heritage or not, is up for grabs. But you are transferring something to future generations. And the Bible has just an awful lot to say about that. And Karen, um, you can can either follow me over here or just listen to this. I I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But Karen brought up this verse during the week. It's over in uh, Psalm 73, and you kind of have to read the whole Psalm to really get the weight of this. And we're not going to do that this morning, but but I want to bring this up. And I'm looking at it from the Amplified Bible. Psalm 73, the psalmist is talking about what's going on in the world around him and and watching people, ungodly people, prosper in what they're doing and have an easy time and be well fed and and all that kind of stuff, you know. and And this guy, is following after God, and he 's making sacrifices to follow after God, and he comes to this place where he 's saying, Man, you know am I making the wrong decision? I mean these people seem to be doing fine what i 'm seeing on the outside, and it really starts uh to get on him and it and it um I would like to back up and read some of it, but I just really don't want to take too much time for it. But, you know, he comes down in verse 13, for instance. He says, surely in vain have I cleansed my heart and washed my hands in innocency. In fact, and so he's saying, surely in vain, surely to no purpose have I pursued after God in this way. This is what he was feeling in his heart. He was This thing was getting on him. He says, all day long, I've been smitten and plagued chastened every morning. And then in verse 15, the Amplified brings it out real well. Some other translations do. The, the Passion translation is really good on this one. But he says, had I, so, so here's what's going on inside of him, right? The whole rest of the psalm above this. And then he says, had I spoken thus and given expression to my feelings. I was feeling this, But if I had started to put it into words, if I'd started to let it come out my mouth, if I had given expression to what I was feeling, I would have been untrue and have dealt treacherously against the generation of your children, God, your children. So he's saying, if I let what I'm feeling, I'm feeling this, I'm looking around the world around me and I'm feeling this pressure and I have questions about this, But if I let that start to if I had taken that step and started to speak it out, started to act on it, I would have been unfaithful to the generation of your children. Meaning, and and that's translated different ways in different translations. I think it's a broad idea of when we start to let what our feelings become our words, which will become our actions. We're being unfaithful to what God's doing in this generation and what we're passing down to future generations. You are passing something down to future generations. And he says, but when I considered how to understand this, in other words, how do, how do I understand what people are thinking, what they're doing, and why do bad things happen to good people and all those kinds of ideas? He says, when I tried to understand that, it was too great an effort for me and too painful he couldn't couldn't figure it out, and then verse seventeen, so awesome, until I went to the sanctuary of God, and then I understood, for I considered their end, in other words he he took on an eternal perspective when he started spending time in God, and if we are not relating to the things of our lives through that lens of who God is and what He has said and and gaining that heavenly perspective, that eternal perspective, and realizing my life is about more than what is going on here and what I'm doing in this generation. If we don't realize what we're about to talk about here from Joseph's life, that by my grabbing hold of the promises of God and hanging on to them, I am not just affecting my life. Yes, it brings blessing to my life, and I celebrate that. But I am also pulling on those promises for future generations. I'm pulling in things that I will never see and that is an idea we have to live beyond our own lives and our own, what we see as our own influence here. We've got to have that confidence in the Lord that his promises, they're generational promises. They are promises that extend way beyond us. And it's, it's really important that we recognize that. So back over in Exodus chapter 13, we have these verses uh, that first, this is what first led me into this whole teaching. Uh. It's about Moses, and this is right when they're getting ready to leave Egypt and start heading for the promised land. This is when God, this is the Exodus. This is where God, Exodus chapter 13 and 14, where God delivers Israel from from Egypt. And so it says, Moses, this is verse 19, Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So this is going back to when Joseph was alive. They had come down into Egypt. There'd been the famine, that whole thing. The family had come. And and Bible scholars who love to argue, argue about the timeline. Of all of this and how long it was between uh, the time that Joseph made them take this oath and when Moses was taking them out, but it was so, we know they were in Egypt. They were going to be in Egypt for four hundred and thirty years. But but uh, with all of that, you know, the argument goes from an average would be somewhere around one hundred and fifty years from the time that Joseph made his family take this oath and said, "God will deliver you." Okay, until Moses this day picked up his bones, started carrying them uh, into the, the promised land. And then you find toward the end of Joshua where they actually buried those bones. They took them in. But so here's a, let's just say 150 year period that this, here's Joseph. Okay, on the front end of that 150 years. He's carrying a promise that was given to his great grandfather, Abraham. He's carrying a promise about that God will bless the whole world through us, through this family. When the promise was given to Abraham, it was for him and his children, right? And and so it was a generational promise from God. But generations had to carry that promise in order to pass it from one to another to another. They had to have that promise living in their heart For this even to come down to Joseph in the first place. And for Joseph to be carrying it so strongly, it had to be not just words. There had to be words spoken in the family talking about who their God was and what he had promised and who they were as a family and what their destiny was. That had to be going on. But there also had to be actions for you. Just think about your own kids. For them to pick up your faith and live in it, they've got to have something more than you just quoting theology to them. If it's going to be alive in them, they've got to see you trusting God. And they've got to see you make it And blow it. They've got to see you struggle with faith. And I don't mean losing your belief in God. I just mean, you know, we're believing God for this promise and it hasn't happened yet. And and we're going through this, you know. But they need to see you going through it. They need to see you turning back to the word and and reminding yourself of the promises. And reminding yourself and them of the testimonies that we have. God came through here. God came through there. Remember when God did this? That has to be the environment of your family. And in that environment, promises from God can be transferred generation to generation. And they can live because the word of God is alive, right? So they, those promises can live in the next generation. And that's what happened here to the extent that he carried this thing. At the time that Joseph died, they were in captivity or well, they were living in Egypt And that became captivity more and more and more as time went on. And it tells us that by the time you start into the book of Exodus, it tells us Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph because there were promises made. Joseph did some great things for Egypt, right? There were promises made to that family. But by the time this was coming around and we get to Exodus, it says that specifically Pharaoh didn't remember who Joseph was people didn't remember. who. All they knew was these Israelites are really multiplying and we need to do something about them. So they made them slaves. So it wasn't looking good for the promise to come to pass. It was not looking better. It was looking worse. And yet this promise was so alive in Joseph that he said, "I I love his statement here. God will surely come to your aid. And I'm so sure of it that I'm making you guys promise that when he does, not if he does, if this happens, then let's do this. That wasn't it. He said, when God comes to your aid, you pick up my bones and you carry them into the promised land because I am going in. It's not going to happen in my lifetime, but I'm going in. So you carry me in. I was thinking about all this, thinking... You know, if we don't build a bigger facility and all that stuff in my lifetime, I might need to put my ashes into the cornerstone of that. Anyway, so I just, I just think it's awesome. Joseph had seen God be faithful in all these. He'd get in the worst circuit. He's in jail. He's, in, he's accused of rape. He's, all this stuff happens, and God keeps bringing him to the top, bringing him to the top, bringing him to the top of the nation. And so he carried that, he had that, and he imparted that so strongly that at least 150 years later, these people are picking up his bones and taking them out, and they're experiencing what he believed for. I want that to be our life. I don't want us just thinking about, sometimes we just let ourselves get so overwhelmed with what's going on today that we don't think about, man, my faith, my sticking with God that's going to affect this it's going to affect future generations whether it's my kids or your kids or somebody else's kids and grandkids and great grandkids we are pulling on promises that are alive and well and that's one thing the promises of god a promise from god it doesn't wear out it doesn't age it doesn't change it's a living word from God and so it can be picked up and planted again in the next generation and grow in them and they may live it out what how they live it out may look different than the way we live it out but they're carrying and the same promise right they're they're taking that forward so let me just say this and I didn't know we were going to sing about I I could have she always gives me a song list but you know that's their deal it's always great I, I don't pay that much attention to what we're going to do, I just enter in with the rest of you and enjoy it. But this morning, especially as I was going back over these, I just felt so strongly about talking about the promises. Well, then I get in here and all the songs are... I, th- I think God has a message for us, okay? So promises, just for anybody that, that doesn't really know what that means, okay? We talk about the promises of God all through Scripture, there are scriptures that declare to us number 1 who God is, okay? That is a promise from God because God acts out of who he is only. That's he always his life is completely congruent, his actions are completely congruent with his nature. He's not hypocritical. In other words, he's not a liar. He doesn't do one thing and then do another. He acts out of his nature. His nature is consistent. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So so we look at the scripture. We see passages about who God is. God says uh, to the children of Israel, I am the Lord God, your healer. He doesn't just say, I'm someone who will do healing for you. He says, this is who I am. I am Lord God, your healer. Well, then we know that means he will take that action. He will heal. Then we come through and we see that all through the Old Testament. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. He heals. One of the big aspects of his ministry is healing. And then he gives that commission to us to heal the sick, to go out and heal the sick in his name, right? Why is that? It's because it's the nature of God. So we can personalize that promise for ourselves. We can see who God is, who he declares himself to be. And one of the ways to do this is to, and we, ought, we need to do this in here sometime, is just, and many of you have, study out the names of God. Who do, what does God call himself in the Old Testament? He calls himself deliverer, he calls himself healer, he calls himself our victory banner, he calls himself our provider, he calls himself all of these different, he is the Lord God, our peace, he is all of these different things to us, he is the almighty God, he is the the provision scripture is actually literally translated, he is the wet nurse, he is the great breasty one, in other words, he feeds us, he sustains us, he takes care of us, it's who he is, it's his nature, That is a promise from God. When we see who God is, we have a promise in that because we see from that what God will do. And because we know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we know that um, he's no respecter of persons, we can personalize that promise and say, God is my healer. And you know what? This bone is healing fast. Do I have a picture? No, I just know it is because God's my healer. I told the doctor. She gave me a timeline. I said, hey, I'll do whatever you say. I'll, I'll, I'm an obedient child here. I will not walk on this foot, I promise. I know a lady that, I don't know exactly what she did, but, but anyway, she had foot or ankle stuff 20 some years ago and she wouldn't stay off the thing. And she still has problems with that foot. She's still wandering around with a cane. There's no reason for it. Anyway, uh, I'm not that guy. Okay, I'll do what you say. But it's not gonna take that long. I said, no, we'll heal we'll heal faster than that, you know. So she said, okay, well then we'll back up the x-ray and we'll look at it. It's like cool. So anyway, why is that? Because God is healer, and so he's my healer. So promises from God, they're declarations of who God is, they're declarations in that we can see what his will is, because his will always aligns with his nature, always. Okay, so we can see what his desire is, what his will is. And then we can look at what he has done. We can look at what he's done in the Old Testament. We can look at what he's done through Jesus. We can look at what he's done in our own lives. I can look at what he's done in your life. And I can grab that. That's a promise from God. If God's done it once, he'll do it again. Does this make sense to you? So, so this is kind of a, the Bible scholars say that there are over 7,000 promises in the word of God. And so, you know, it's just up to us that as we're spending time with God, we take out those promises. You can get some, you can buy books, you know, which are great, that are about the promises of God, that, that where people have gone and compiled promises from God. And they're just scripture after scripture after scripture. And those are wonderful. And you can feed on them. And they're, you know, I mean, it started out as... Uh, promises for everyday living or something. And then pretty soon, you know, it, this is America, it was promises for Mother's Day and promises for the 4th of July, right? You know, there's a million books, but, but nevertheless, it's a really valuable tool. And sometimes I'll, t- I still have those, we bought them a hundred years ago and I'll still open those up and just go through promises, just soak in promises and the promises he's made to you. And I'm not kidding, when I was sitting there, I keep getting new scriptures. Some of you have given me some and this morning it was, he 'll make my feet like hind 's feet in the high places, you know, and I was picturing those you know uh bighorn sheep running up and down those vertical cliffs. I was like, yes, that's my promise, so anyway, so grab that stuff it 's alive it's good and and those promises don't age, and they don 't wear out they 're the same they're god 's word, and so ingest them, meditate on them, think on them, write them down, okay, does this make sense to you, okay, so everybody had forgotten about. Joseph but one of the things he did is he had this expectation what I believe God will surely come to your aid okay what I believe will produce some kind of measurable result this isn't just a point of theology to me I expect it to manifest itself in real life. And I expect it so strongly that I'm telling you, don't forget where my bones are because you are going to carry them out of here one day. And in doing that, he, he, he caused his children and grandchildren and however many generations there were there, and scholars can fight all day about that, but however many there were, he caused those people to live with an expectation of that promise being fulfilled. He caused them to live in such a way that, you know what? Don't forget where Joseph's bones are because one day God's going to take us out of here. He expected something measurable and I think we should too. I expect the x-ray on June 10th to look better and we have we get this a lot. I don't get nearly as much instantaneous stuff as I would like and I'm going to keep working on that. But we always heal faster it always goes better than the doctors say always okay we don't have the side effects or we don't have you know whatever it is we see that a lot and that's a victory and and so he had that in him that you know what what i say i believe it will have a measurable effect and that's a part of faith and it should be a part of who we are and of our expectations does this make sense to you okay so let's go over to 2 Timothy Chapter 1, let's see if we can get through some of these verses uh, today. Second Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. Second Timothy 1, 5. These two are just great verses. I don't read the lousy verses to you out of the Bible. We just try to stick to all these great ones. Uh, so Paul, writing to Timothy here, and Timothy was Paul's disciple. And he said he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. Okay, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. That that word sincere is an interesting word. Uh it, it comes from a Greek word anopokritos. I just learned this one, so it doesn't roll off the tongue yet. But it originally, when the word first was coined, it it meant inexperienced in the art of acting. In other words, it's how they described a lousy actor. (laughs) They couldn't, so it was a person who couldn't pretend well, right? It was a person who couldn't fake it well. And, And over time, it came to mean something that was not simulated. It was genuine. It was real, okay? It was, and so it came to describe a person who had no hypocrisy. They weren't putting on a show, what, what was in them was in them, and their outward life reflected it. Okay. Hypocrisy means our inward and outward lives are the same. All right. And uh, hypocrisy would mean that our inward and outward lives are different, but you, you get what I mean. So there was no hypocrisy in this person, it was genuine, and that's what he's saying. I've been reminded of your genuine, real, you're not faking it, faith is what he's saying to Timothy. Which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. So Paul, this I just find this so interesting. Timothy grew up in this generational environment where his grandmother lived a genuine faith. He saw in his grandmother, he saw her believing God. He saw that in her. It wasn't just theological ideas. And then he saw it in his mother. And so generation after generation was his faith. But, you know, we talk a lot about living by faith. We're supposed to live by faith and not just by what we see. We're not supposed to just be motivated by what we see around us, but by faith. Faith's supposed to move us and, and determine our actions. So that's great. And I'm sure these people did live by faith. But this verse actually says this faith lived in them. It describes it as a living thing, their faith, a living thing. Again, not just a theology, not just a set of religious ideas or, or even even good doctrine. It wasn't just that. It was something that was alive in the, in the grandmother and then in the mother and now in Timothy. That's how faith should be in us. It should be alive in us and and we can see that because the scripture tells us that faith comes by intimacy with God. It comes by hearing what God is saying to us. Well, His word is alive. It's like seed. It plants His life in us. That life grows up in our hearts. And so the confidence that comes out of why why is it? Romans ten seventeen says uh, that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Well, why would God's words? be the delivery mechanism for faith anyway? Why would confidence come from hearing him speak? Well, first of all, if we remember that his words are like seed, Jesus compared him to seed and our hearts are like a place for that seed to be planted. We know that seeds are containers of life, right? Well, what is that life? When God speaks, he always speaks out of total confidence in himself. He doesn't say stuff and then wonder, I wonder if I could do that you know, you know, speak to us that I'm the Lord God, your healer. Boy, I wonder if I can pull that off. You know, he doesn't do that. There's no doubt in him. So that seed that comes into our hearts, one of the things it contains is God's own confidence in himself. And that confidence is one of the things that is released in our hearts as we let that word. But see, we just got to be careful. Read Mark chapter four. We don't have time to teach it, but you know we gotta be we gotta be careful about our attitude that we're receptive to the word that we spend time we let the word get planted and nurtured and watered so it actually produces something in our lives because uh, otherwise it's pretty easy to go out of here and get mad at somebody in the parking lot and and or maybe bef- way before the parking lot and and um, let the devil come in and steal that word that you just heard out of your heart or or you know to to let a, you know to what did Annie say last week don't why should I leave what I'm doing with God in order to go and meet with the liar or the lie? You know, why should I go meet with the lie? Why should I go listen to this other voice and leave what God's doing in my life? That wasn't, you guys gotta get, if you weren't here, get that teaching. I think it was one of the best ones she's ever done. It was just awesome. So, uh, what am I talking about? Oh, this is why, you know, so faith is one of the things that's imparted into our hearts when we hear God speak. And so this, so, This faith was passed down from generation to generation because it was real and because Timothy grew up in an environment where genuine trust in God was the norm and it was demonstrated generationally. So what's our whole point today? That an undeterrable faith, an undeterred faith can be and should be passed down. It doesn't mean I don't want anybody feeling bad about, you know, well, my kids aren't walking with God right now you know, you got to keep trusting God. <laughs> you got to keep your faith in God about that. But, but it's like, you know, you've just got to realize that this is something that's alive. It says, this faith lived in your grandmother. Not just that she lived in it, which is fine. We see that too. But it lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother. I just, and and so a living faith, if we look over, and we're not going to look at it today, but in James chapter 2, James talks about Abraham's faith. And he talks about the way that it, uh, he says it gave full expression or complete, his outward actions, his works, his outward actions, completed, and it means they gave full expression to the faith that lived in his heart. And this is where he talks about that um, Faith without works is dead. And what he's saying there is that if, if, if there's a faith in us, or something we're calling faith, but it's not producing corresponding actions that, that give expression to it, it's not a living faith. It's not the real thing. And, and he even goes so far as to say, in the same way that the body, which is our outward part, right? Without the spirit our inward life, is dead. In the same way, works, actions that we would take, without faith, they'll be dead. We'll be doing stuff, but it won't carry the life of God. So there's this whole thing about a living faith, and a living faith is just, it's alive in you. It is something that comes from spending time with God, and it will will drive, it will motivate, it will move you to live, to speak, to live, In certain ways, okay? Um, Boy, I'm running out of time. Uh, So, yeah, let's skip that. So it goes on uh, in, in 2 Timothy here, it goes on. And Paul talks about his faith. And then he says, for this reason, because there's a living faith in you, I remind you, Timothy, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the gifts that God places in us, those are their their channels, their outlets for the life of God to flow through us. They aren't gifts or something God puts in you. Uh, um, Skills are something you learn and develop. So it's not just what you're good at. It is, it is a place where God likes to flow his life through you. And, and we have a lot of different gifts that are mentioned in the scripture. But the point is, he says, because there's this living faith in you, you have a responsibility. And he says, I want you, you need to fan into flame the gifts that are, that are in you. And so the literal Greek there says to excite or awaken the gift that is in you. All right, and and verse 7, I guess I don't have it up on the screen there for you, but verse 7 goes on to, it's the verse that goes on to talk to us about, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. So we can see that fear uh, can come in and try and disrupt in your heart the flow of, of faith through your gifts, the flow of grace through your gifts, the flow of God's life through your gifts. He, he says, I'm telling you, you've got to stir this thing up because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us, he gave us a, a spirit of life, a spirit of self-discipline, a spirit of, of uh, boldness. That's what he has given us. And so it's important that we don't, again, what did we say? We can be deterred by fear, by intimidation, by doubt, by those kinds of things. He's saying, stir up the gifts that are in you. Stir up the faith that is in you. How do we do that? We've got to be in a position to let God breathe on those coals. I frequently just pray this. I just pray it. I just say, Lord, I'm asking you. I do this every time I minister. I say Lord I'm asking you to stir up that those gifts that are in me. I'm asking you to stir up the gifts of pastor and teacher. I'm asking you to stir up whatever gifts you have put in me. Breathe on them. Just use just use me. Just let your grace flow through me. And and so it's just something that we want to trust God for. But if we're not, again, we we get that stirred up. We get it breathed on by spending time in his breath. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to spend time with the Holy Spirit. We've got to pray in the Spirit. We've got to worship the Lord. You know, we've got to do it. We can't, what did we say last week? We were looking at, or a couple weeks ago, we were looking at Psalm 37. We were talking about where it says, feed on his faithfulness and surely you will be fed. Well, I want to be fed. I want to be sustained. I want to be filled. I want to be... Then feed. If you don't feed, you're not going to be fed. If you'll feed, you'll be fed. It's it's really not rocket science. Thank goodness, you know, because Perry's the only one that gets rocket science in the room. And and so, you know, it, it's like, I'm serious. Thank goodness, Jesus, you made this so easy. Okay. So is this making sense to you? So he says, stir up those gifts. Okay. For this reason Timothy because you're part of a spiritual heritage because your life is about more than you because you believe that you what you do will affect your children you fan into flame those gifts all right let's look at I just got to look at one more verse we'll probably come back to this but I really want um you to see this before we leave today and and we'll leave it here this is just down the line there first or second Timothy sorry second Timothy 1, 11, and 12. This is such a powerful passage. And of course, this is in the context of everything we've just talked about. He's, and Paul says about himself, he says, Of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. So he's saying, This is who I am, this is what I'm called to do. That's why I'm suffering as I am. That's why he's coming under attack. Yet, with all the struggles he's going through, yet I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom I have believed, and get this, I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I am convinced. Here's Paul in prison writing to Timothy, who's carrying forth the gospel on the outside. He says, where is my confidence? My confidence is in the fact that what I entrust to God He is able to keep. That word keep means to preserve, to guard, to protect, to keep, to sustain. Okay? God is able to keep what we entrust to Him. We only entrust to Him the things that we trust Him about or for, right? You don't entrust precious things to people that you don't trust. So in the building of faith, this is an important step that we need to intentionally entrust to him. What's Paul, for Paul, I believe he's entrusting, he's done all this work. He's suffered, he's been beaten, he's been put in jail. He's had all these things happen in his life in the promotion of the gospel. He's given his life to it and pretty quick here, he's going to give his life to it. He's going to be executed for it. And he's sitting there going, Was this all in vain? Is this going to go anywhere? Is what I communicated to people? And then he's thinking about Timothy, and he's saying, you know what? I see that same sincere faith in him. And so he tells him, stir up the gifts that are in you. And I'm convinced. You know, I believe Paul's saying there, I have entrusted everything that I've done with my life for the Lord, that it will not be in vain. It will not drop away. It will go generation to generation. It will move forward. It will impact. It will... Changed the world, and it did. We're still reading his words. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And and he's saying, I'm, he's in a place where he's having to say, I entrust this all to you, Lord. And so for you, it might be, I entrust my children's future to you. I trust you with it. You are able to keep and guard that which I entrust to you, and I'm convinced of it. You are good. You are faithful. I will feed on your faithfulness. You are able to keep and guard my business. You are able to keep and guard this nation. You are able to keep and guard whatever it might be for you, your health, whatever it might be for you. But it's but he is only able to keep and guard what we actually entrust to him. We put it in his possession. We put it in his, I think I wrote down, protective custody. That was what came to me. Yeah, we, we, we entrusted to him. We put it into God's Protective custody from our hearts. And with something precious to you, you probably have to do that about 900 times. But that's okay. Just keep doing it. And keep remembering how faithful God is. And whether whatever that thing is works out in your generation, or whether it pulls it in for somebody else, I'm believing God for revival in this nation. I think it's the only hope for this nation is an absolute change of heart. I don't care if you're left or right or center or, or don't care about any of that. I don't care where you are. This nation needs a change of heart. All this junk and all this atmosphere and all this started with pulling prayer out of school. And that's not a conservative argument. Conservatives may have picked it up, but that's, not, that's just the truth. We, we kick God out of society and now we're reaping the wonderful benefits of that with the anger and the hatred and the abuse and the garbage well, what's going to solve that revival? That's the only thing. It you know. Until then, we'll do our best putting, putting political people in, but they are not the answer. So anyway, we've got to entrust what's precious to us. If it happens in this generation, great. If it doesn't, we're going to die with that trust in our hearts. Is that okay? Is this happy? Are we happy? We have, we have graduation cake out there for you. All right. Let's pray this morning. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? And we'll see if I can do that. Yeah. I get to kneel. It's very spiritual. Thank you, Lord. It's like Moses leaning on his staff. Was that Moses? Who was that? Anyway, Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning. Father for your words, and I trust this morning. Father, that these words are precious and and they are entrusted to you, deposited in all of our hearts. And we declare they will produce fruit. They will change our minds and change our lives and produce great fruit. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that we will be people with undeterred faith. That as we spend time with you, we ask you, Holy Spirit, just breathe into us. Stir up the gifts that are in us so that we can carry your life out into this uh, community. Father, as we interact with people, we just want to distribute the life of God to them. We want to distribute your blessing to them. And we trust, Father, that your word is alive, that your promises are alive, and that you bring them to pass. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. We are going to be dismissed on the count of three. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. We're going to be dismissed. And seriously, there's some great stuff out there. And we do have a special cake for the graduates and all that. So, all right. Let's say it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. You guys go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.